everyone. My name is Patrick LeBlanc, your host, and welcome to Insights Tomorrow, brought to you by Microsoft. Let's deep dive with leaders and innovators in the data space. We're going to explore the challenges, the opportunities that organizations face in their data journeys. In each episode, we will invite some data leaders, experts, and some practitioners who share their unique perspectives on how data transformation is changing their business. Let's explore this data journey together and what it means to you. Hello, everyone. My name is Patrick LeBlanc, and welcome to Insights Tomorrow. Today, we have a very exciting guest. We're going to be talking about touching patients' lives with data. And today, we have with us to discuss this topic, Anders Reinhardt. Anders, why don't you do a quick introduction to tell everybody who you are and what you do? Sure. My name is Anders Reinhardt, and I'm responsible for the data and analytics platform in Koloplast which is a large uh, medtech company based out of Denmark uh, with approximately 14,500 employees. And we do mainly medical devices for people who are really, really ill and will be ill for for maybe the rest of their lives. So everything we do uh, really is about trying to improve the quality of life for our patients. All right. Wow. That's a that's a big job, big responsibility and using data to do all of it. So I can remember one of the first projects I did when I started working on data was I worked for a neonatal, a little neonatal shop where they delivered really small babies. And one of the metrics we created was mortality rate. And it just shocked me. It just shocked me, you know, building that metric out. And so when you first started working with this healthcare data, What was some of the things that surprised you about that data? I think what uh, surprised me was actually that because of the variety of our products, uh, depending on what uh, illness our patients actually have, it's very different things that worries them or creates a problem in their life. So for our ostomy patients, it's uh, a lot about the fear of leakage and having a leakage uh, during the day. And for uh, people who are using our intermediate catheters, it's a lot about infections. So it's it's completely different things that we need to measure, we need to uh, look after to uh, improve the life of our patients. Yeah, interesting. That's interesting. And so trying to figure out how do I work with this data or how do I consume or make this data usable for everyone in the organization? What technology or tool did you find, you know, really helped you with doing that? I think for us, it was groundbreaking when we uh, four or five years ago decided to go to cloud with our data. And one of the purposes was, as you were mentioned, Patrick, it was actually to make data much more accessible throughout the company. And uh, we didn't use, uh, you could say, any groundbreaking technology. I think we used a very traditional setup with uh, a database in the cloud, uh, a lot of data sources that are ingested that way, and common data models for most of our biggest business areas. But we allow for quite a lot of freedom with uh, Power BI Mm. as the front-end reporting tool, and that has really really, really been a game changer for us, allowing for localized differences and ability to mesh up data. And that has driven our adoption very, very high. So we, I think we went from approximately 2,000 users to now 6,200. Wow. So it's it's really taken off. 
Wow, like three times the number of people. Yeah. In what time span did you go from 2,000 to 3,000? And what do you think was the main driving factor behind that? I think the main driving factor was actually that we had a, a very, very uh, good discussion with our business about how the different business units can assume much more ownership of the solutions that are created. As somebody building the solutions, I mean, I don't need them. Somebody else needs them. So it's been very important for me that we ensured that the business were also trying to drive the adoption with their users and helping us get as many people on these solutions as possible. And I think once uh, other business units started seeing the success, uh, some of the first uh, business units had that we serviced, it really, really took off. But but the business ownership is really key. I felt a little bit in our old uh, data platform that a lot of the ownership was somehow really weirdly stuck with IT mm-hmm. and not actually business. And, and that we have really changed. Yeah, it's, it's like finding the medium, finding that, you know, that median ground between the business and IT instead of IT having complete control over everything, saying, hey, guys, loosen up a little bit, loosen up a little bit because you don't own this data. The business actually owns this data and they should have the ability to, you know, search and collaborate and discover and do all the things they knew with this data. This is great. And so if, if I think about technology, technology is changing. Somebody probably just invented something, some new technology as we were just having this conversation. What advances in technology are you most looking forward to? You know, what is the new thing if, if for Anders that he, you think that would just revolutionize or change the way or make it more efficient, you know, make it more efficient than what you're doing today with, with your data? I think we see a tremendous move still in database, pure database technology, allowing us to ingest much more data, mm-hmm. store more data and crunch more data. And I think uh, the more solutions uh, you can imagine that, that we try to process uh, every single day, uh, of course, it puts a strain on the core technology we're using. But I also see uh, constellations like uh, Lakehouse Architecture becoming really important to service people more with uh, raw data, data that has not been modeled to the same extent. But it's we try to keep it a balance because some of our data is of very poor shape. So ideally, we don't want everybody in the business to sit and do the same transform on the data, but we still want more aggressive self-service on some of it. And of course, AI and machine learning, if we want to do that, then then we also need more of a lakehouse architecture. Yeah. So we're really looking forward to supplementing the, the current architecture with that. So you mentioned self-service. And, you know, at Microsoft, we are all about driving this data culture through self-service. But, you know, how do you ensure the privacy and security of your healthcare data when we talk about self-service? Because there's all that PII data in healthcare, and we need to make sure we protect it. How do you protect it? How do you secure it? How do you ensure that it's private and only, you know, the person that needs to see that data can actually see that data? Yeah, that's a very good question. And it's not easy because that's also a balance that we really want to do something for the patients. But at the same time, of course, we need to keep their information 100% secure. First of all, we have appointed data owners uh, across the company. So it's the data owner that actually approves that we can do analytics on the data. And then we also work a lot with the data minimization. So uh, there's maybe a selected group that needs access to the personal data, whereas the wider group actually don't need to know who uh, the patient is. So we try to remove that data 
and not expose it at all and only expose it for the selected few that that actually needs to work with it so that's that's one way of doing it and in some some cases we completely remove all uh, personal denominators so you can't see that at all so so we we have several options of working with that so it's been years since I've worked with healthcare data, and it's funny. I remember one of the, that same project. Everybody so we're, we're talking about ethics because as the as the administrator, as the person that was building it, there were so many ethical requirements that I had. You know, I couldn't talk about so many facets of this data. What are some of the ethical considerations that you need to take? You know, that you need to consider when you're working with this healthcare data. I, I think, first of all, of course, we need to realize that this is uh, super personal information. So this is something that is very close to the heart of our uh, patients. So we need to protect and preserve it. But uh, we also walk a very thin line because as medtech providers, we are not allowed to provide medical advice. We are not doctors. So we, we make sure that we have uh, the proper consent in place and that we only use data for what we are allowed to do. And I think uh, that that is what uh, keeps uh, hopefully our patients uh, sure that, that we are here to protect them and, and their needs. That being said, we, we try to use the data intelligently so we can provide the best care and best support for the patients. So I think it's all about having the patient in mind uh, all the way through. From the beginning to the end, right? The patient's at the top yep. of the mind. And so... When I'm built working on a project and I'm building something out, I always learn or notice something from the data, you know, something that's just like really insightful. I would have never imagined, you know, I was looking at some data and we found a correlation between the number of dams and the number of floods in an area. You know, it was really insightful, right? The number of fatalities went down as we built more, as more dams were built in that area. What would be the most insightful thing that you, you know, found out or the most insightful the most valuable insight that you've uncovered when analyzing some healthcare data? <laughs> That's a very good question. I think actually right now we are in a pilot phase of our very first digital product. Mm -hmm. And that means that we have put a sensor on our stoma bags to actually detect and potential upcoming leakage. And for the first time, we started to receive information now from patients wearing the product. Oh. And I think we have already seen now that there are very interesting patterns around your body types. So, uh, you know, some patients uh, can get a lot out of these sensors because it will, will actually do a pre-warning. But uh, others uh, might have a tendency to have a lot of moisture on the skin that creates some false positives. So it's it's interesting to see these patterns of we might be able to help some people really well, but there are also others where we need to work more on the design and, and improve the product itself for it to be more accurate. And I think that will be a super journey. And it's been very interesting to see the first data coming in. Right now, it's not for hundreds of thousands of patients. It's only a, a more limited amount. But we will, of course, get more and more data as we roll the product out. And I think, to be honest, we'll find a lot of interesting stuff in those uh, patterns. 
So how many, for something like that, I mean, I, I find this extremely interesting. For something like that, how many data points? And then what's the volume of data that you think? I mean, you're just working with hundreds of hundreds of patients, but once you scale this out to thousands or even tens yeah. of thousands, you know, what, what do you think, the, how much data do you think you'll accumulate? Yeah, that's a good question. That's also my concern <laughs> because it's small at the moment. But uh, uh, no, we, we did, I, I think what we did to try to limit the amount of data was actually that right now we don't need to act on anything at our end because the app is notifying the patient. So you could say our purpose is much more long-term analytical uh, for the patient. So we are getting data streamed in at second by second point but we only receive a file once an hour and that has actually limited the amount of data tremendously but we are talking about terabytes of data if not petabytes in there if this really uh, succeeds and, and becomes a heavily used product so over time it will grow and that's also why i think we need to be very smart about what we use this for and how we use it. So, so we also generate a reasonable economic footprint. It sounds so great with the, you know, just give me all the data, but there's also a cost side to it. And, and if data is not actually being used, of course, we need to minimize uh, the footprint uh, on that. Yeah. So with something like this, right? I mean, I, this is groundbreaking. Yeah, I'm, I'm using telemetry that's collected based on body shapes and a person. How do you see this or healthcare data, you know, shaping the future of this industry that you and I have spent so much of our life in? I think uh, it has a tremendous impact. And for our products, it's been a challenge to find ways of digitalizing the products. But we will definitely work a lot more with that. And I think this is the rise of the healthcare consumer. This is uh, a trend that we see that people seek out information much more actively about their own disease, about providers in the market. And and I think uh, the healthcare providers are also looking to more actively respond to the patients more proactively. So, so we are often uh, several, you could say, several links remote from the potential patient. So they are maybe mainly in dialogue with their doctor. And now we suddenly have valuable information that we can use, but we can also share it with doctors and, and nurses. And so I think there's an endless stream of potential in this uh, that at the end, hopefully comes back as better service for, for, for the consumer and the customer. Yeah. And so they could, they could potentially take that data and look for trends and do analysis and make better determinations of how they should proceed with different diagnoses and procedures and things like that. And that would be, that would be super interesting. So can you share any examples of how any of the healthcare data has helped you help other people make more informed business decisions or just overall decisions, you know, about things in the industry, in that industry? I think I think when we look at our entire setup around our care units and our uh, also our sales reps and the whole sales teams that we have because it's not just sales it's about trying to get people to use a really really good product I think what we've done around our consumer data in general around our CRM platform where we are trying to feed good data back to the sales reps so they can make really good decisions about who to contact, what hospitals to visit and so on. That whole area has made our 
way of working much more efficient, but it's also generating more and more information about the consumers that we can use in the care program. And I think this will be our next big challenge. It will be to try to correlate some of all this information that we now have available. We're not doing a lot of it at the moment. So not, we've been very focused on gathering the data points and ensuring that we have them in, on one platform. But I think the really next big move is, is the customer 360. How can we how can we look more holistically at the consumer? Because then we have so many touch points with them that all generate data. And now for the first time, also data that is actually generated by uh, the, 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 the consumer and the patient themselves. So are there any plans of, I know we're exposing this internally into doctors and to providers, but are there any plans to expose some of this data to the consumer, to, to me, the patient? <laughs> it's a good question. We do it. We do it already with the app, you could say, but not maybe the long term history because it's not storing a lot of information. So uh, there you get the immediate feedback that there's something you should pay attention to. Yeah. This could be a potential leakage. Um, but we haven't discussed the longer term scenarios, whether this could be something that would actually be relevant to pick up and then display. I, I cannot imagine that we will not have those discussions. It's It's pretty... It's pretty obvious that there's definitely something to be had there as well. Yeah, I just I just can only imagine, you know, someone like me constantly obsessing over the slightest change in my blood pressure or glucose level yeah. or something like that. I would go crazy. So I probably it's probably best that I don't have access to that type of data constantly. I would <laughs> I would drive myself crazy. Uh, so, but I, I guess I, if if we think about this industry, especially data, right? Data is everywhere, and there's so many new technologies and so many new practices and developments that comes up. How do you keep up? How do you keep up with all all these developments and all these new technologies and all these changes. It's difficult for me. Um, I'm just curious, how do you keep up? Yeah, it's a good question. I think uh, it's also difficult for me. Uh, I, I have a, a very, very good and, and strong network where I do a lot of networking and thereby you also get a take on what are others doing. And there's a lot of um, difference between the peers, I think. So some are very far in certain areas uh, where we are perhaps lagging a bit behind and we can learn a lot from them. And then I have to say that I think we are also very actively using Microsoft. So we have regular sessions where we get inspired on several levels where we take the whole team uh, and, and participate and we, we, we do it um, on a fixed schedule. That has actually given us a lot. Uh, I also had the chance to visit uh, the Microsoft headquarters in Seattle, uh, where we also got an inspiration to, and I've done that twice now. So, so there's, I think there are there are a lot of inspirations to be had also from the various providers. Uh, but I like the peer-to-peer -peer sessions, and I'm always willing to share what we are doing, and and luckily, uh, vice versa for for some of the peers I'm I'm talking a lot to. I find those those most beneficial working with other people that's doing the same thing. We often we, I mean, I often learn just so much stuff from other people, because even though same business, we're always doing things slightly different or things that we can share and kind of cross pollinate and help each other grow. So early I mentioned self-service and, you know, privacy and security. But how do you create a balance between all the things that you're doing today, all the advancements that you're doing today with the concerns around data privacy and security? How do you balance those two out? I think we've done a really good job at doing a lot of uh basic uh, data security campaigns 
and trying to inform everybody at Kulaplast about what are their responsibilities because it's not just in the data and analytics platform we have all this data, it's also in the source systems itself. So is it a good idea to dump something out of the source system if it's private data? No, it's not. And we have to teach people that. And I, and I think we've really done a, a very good job of that. And also we have adapted uh, some of those um, points into our Power BI training that my team runs for, for anybody who wants to be uh, a developer in the company. And we try to remind everybody there again, uh, use the corporate uh, data solutions because they're safe. Uh, we guarantee that you can't get uh, get into trouble by using those, and we have full transparency in terms of statistics. And and, and if you do that, if you want to do a mashup, uh, don't do it with private data. Don't do it with confidential data. Yeah. So I, I think we we really try to run uh, information campaigns around this. Uh, and 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 luckily we can see that it's catching up. We've also done some limitations on certain IT systems where we've actually locked them down for export. And I'm not a big fan of that. You know, data finds its way eventually, <laughs> but uh, but but uh, we have to do that. We have to be more strict uh, yeah. and also to avoid uh, unintended mistakes, and uh, which is luckily most of the time the case when 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 somebody accidentally does something they shouldn't have done so yeah i like i like what you said data it's gonna find its way it's gonna find its way <laughs> it's absolutely gonna do that so what advice would you give other businesses that are looking to use healthcare data in their operations so i mean you've been on this journey for a while what advice would you give me if i decided to embark on this on this journey it's not an easy journey especially with all the privacy and security that's involved no, I think it's about having some very, very strong basic security principles that you adhere to and, and having the data ownership uh, strongly uh, strongly set up in the business. So so it's always the data owner who makes the decision, can we use this data in this context and uh, who should have access to the data? I think if, if you don't have a setup like that, it can become a very blurry picture very, very quickly. I'm not a big fan of very, very complicated security models. They tend to become very intransparent. So I really think keeping it a bit simple. And we often use a setup where, for instance, we have a mix of data that also contains personal data. And then we expose a data cube with no personal data to a lot mm. of people. And we create a copy that has selected personal data and allow a few people to um, to access that and that's that's a very simple rule that doesn't really uh, require a lot of detailed role level security it's more about saying five people can see this cube and uh, 200 the other cube and 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 the personal data has been removed so those are simple ways of of working with this but very efficient um, yeah so one thing i like to say is simplicity is the key to success it really is, right? Simplicity is the key to success. Overly complex security models or data models, you, you're just looking for trouble. You're just looking for trouble. So, yeah, I, yeah, I, I totally agree. I think it was one of our findings from our old setup that we had so many security groups that over time, uh, people had more or less access to everything yeah. because of all these indefinite combinations. So I think it is really important that you set it up uh, safely. But I think it's also it's also important to work very closely with your IT security teams. And, and so I work with uh, our DPO, 
if if you have one of those, most most companies tend to do that, have that today, and and also our IT security team, and we constantly have discussions about where do we need to be more strict, how do we need to pitch this, how can we inform and train better, and and I think it's it's a constant evolution, also because there's a lot of local legislation now playing in, making it even more uh, complicated. Yep. Yep. So the last thing, so. Obviously, I work with data. That's all I do all day long. And there's always something, every time I talk to people, they have these ideas, these myths about this particular type of data, this particular type of data. When it comes to healthcare, what's the biggest one? What's the biggest myth that, you know, people always come to you and say, oh, this is this. You go, no, it's not. That's not true. That's not true. It's <laughs> a, a good question. I think I think the overall biggest myth about data is perhaps that all the gold uh, lies in very, very complicated AI and machine learning models. I, I think when, when we look at how we can improve our business, both uh, towards the consumers, but also just internally, it's often about providing structured data to areas that have no data at all. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I think that, that, that is what I've seen generating the most value. I'm not saying we won't get value out of machine learning models. We will. I think we will. But, but you can't do without the other basic foundations. So we recently started working a lot with sustainability and the whole sustainability agenda. And a lot of those calculations are very, very complex. You cannot do that in Excel. <laughs> uh, and and it, it, they have really struggled in that team with all uh, the demand versus uh, sitting in spreadsheets with most of the data. And I think we, uh, my team uh, has already done a lot, but we can do a lot more to help them there. And that generates an enormous transparency in our sustainability agenda and how we're doing benefiting the whole company and hopefully also the environment in the end. So so I, th- I think I just see still a lot of areas that has nothing. And if I have to prioritize you know, you're chasing some kind of uh, really complicated uh, machine learning model yeah. that we might get something out of versus uh, the more basic stuff. It's a balance, of course, but uh, but I still think there's a lot of uh, people in the organization we're not helping. And manufacturing is going to be the next area we're going to work with. And there's a lot we can do there. Yeah. So I'm going to wrap this up. I'm going to make a statement, eh, maybe, maybe sort of a question. So would it be true to say you have a very stringent governance process around all of this that you're putting out, all this data, all these metrics, all the accuracy that you're depending upon when you make this available. You have a really good process to go from one location or one data set before it's exposed it's exposed out to people in your in the organizations that you're working with. Yes, uh, I think we have, uh, and, and but we also try to keep it agile. But yeah. we have a we have a simple and stringent process for the core data extract and data pipelines and data exposure. Yeah. And I think if you don't control that layer, it will be very difficult to put your hand on the cooking plate and say, are we really compliant? <laughs> uh, are we protecting the data? And, and, and this is, of course, the balance because then how can you then provide self-service? The answer is you can do that in many ways. Yeah. Uh, and I think uh, self-service in the area of machine learning is not about building 500 data pipelines. Somebody else can do that. Uh, it's about doing the algorithm and being really close to the business so you can create the right algorithm. So it's about finding that uh, 
mix of where we allow the business to be a little bit more free without having to worry about too many things at once. And I think we are constantly exploring new models for that. But you need a certain foundation that is 100% under control in these days, and especially dealing with personal and confidential data. Wow. Wow, Anders. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for taking the time to come and chat with me today. And for everyone that's listening, thank you so much for taking the time to listen. And we will see you in the next episode. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Insights Tomorrow. Be sure to catch us next time as we continue the journey to uncover the challenges and the possibilities that organizations face every day. You can find more about the show and catch future episodes at insightstomorrow.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.